So as we are working our way through the book of Romans this morning, we're in Romans chapter 1, still verses 21 to 23. And as I was looking at this, we're going to be talking about the concept of wisdom this morning. And with wisdom being acting appropriately to knowledge, right? Responding appropriately to knowledge. And as I was thinking about wisdom and not wisdom, it reminded me of an experience that I had with Achilles tendonitis. So last summer, I was having an issue with Achilles tendonitis and was trying to figure out what was going on because all I knew is that it hurt to get up in the morning. When my feet hit the ground, I could hardly walk and I could hardly make it from my bed into the bathroom. And I I didn't know what was going on and I thought maybe it was plantar fasciitis or I didn't know what. And so what I did find, though, was that By the time I had walked around for a couple of minutes, everything was fine. And so that's why I was able to do that for about three months uh, before I finally went, you know, this is dumb. There's got to be some reason for this. I am too young to have this much pain every morning. And so I started doing some research and discovered that what I had was Achilles tendonitis and that the cure for that is rest. Well, some of you know me, and you know that I like to play basketball, and I like to play basketball a lot. I don't like to not play basketball. So I learned that if I played basketball one to two days a week, it was very manageable. And so that was able to go on for a few months. And then I realized that uh, wisdom was that I would have to stop playing basketball for six to eight weeks. And so I regret to say I stopped playing basketball for six to eight weeks and that wasn't quite enough. And so I had to wait another four weeks before I could go back to playing basketball. And I just was uh, talking with my wife about uh, one of the instructors that she has at the gym who is now wearing a boot because she also has Achilles tendonitis and she also thought that the best way to manage Achilles tendonitis is to just push through the pain and take ibuprofen if needed. But wisdom is the only way it goes away is to respond appropriately and rest and let it heal before going back to what you're doing. And so this morning, I want to talk about what the wisdom of responding to God is. What's the wisdom of responding to God? Because last week, as we looked at uh, first, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So last week we talked about the fact that through God's creation, He has revealed that there is an eternal God with divine power. And people's response to that is often that they will suppress that truth and deny that truth and just say, you know, um, I don't really want to go there. Whether or not there is a God, I'm not really going to find out because I would rather not know. 
or just straight up go, you know, I've decided there isn't a God. But they are without excuse because God has revealed it to them and made it plain. So everybody is without excuse. We may say, well, there are some people who just don't know. No, we are told very clearly here that God has revealed Himself in such a way that everyone should know. And if they say they don't know that there is an eternal God with divine power, it is because they are suppressing the truth and are rejecting Him. And here's... Here's what the consequence of that is. So they are without excuse. Verse 21, 4. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. For although they knew God, although they had enough information to know that God is there, rather than responding and thanking Him for all that they can see in creation, Rather than honoring Him as the God of creation, instead, they became futile in their thinking. So what's the appropriate response to God? What is wisdom as it comes to responding to what God has revealed? It's to honor Him and give Him thanks. That is to acknowledge that He is God and say, God, You're amazing. You're wonderful. Look at all of these wonderful things that you have done. But instead, very often, people don't acknowledge that. They don't give Him the thanks that He's due and they don't honor Him. I'm reminded uh, sometimes of uh, children in their response to their mothers. Have you noticed that, that children, by and large, do not appreciate their mothers enough? Yeah. <laughs> There they are fussing and complaining because they really want Captain Crunch cereal. And you just look at them and go, Child, please, please. And the mother stands there and looks at them and says, I bore you for nine months. For nine months I bore you. I gave birth to you. I nursed you, I clothed you, I changed your diapers. I have taken care of every need you have ever had. A little appreciation. Just a little. Oh. So are you going to get more Captain Crunch? Wisdom says that's not an appropriate response. Right? But here, here's the, our deal, right? God has brought all things into existence. God has created all things, sustains everything, maintains it, provides for the, His people. And His people, by and large, go, there's not enough Captain Crunch! And God is just looking Do you not appreciate all of this that I have done? The way that the universe is set up so that it's in this perfect balance. 
and all of your needs are met. The rain comes, the sun comes, the food is there, everything you need is provided for you. And yet, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They became futile in their thinking, and their Foolish hearts were darkened. They, and when I say they, I mean very often we, think that we are so clever and so smart, and yet we replace God and deny Him and reject Him And do it not acknowledge Him. It says in verse 22 that claiming to be wise, they became fools. Have you ever done anything where you thought, this is is really a good idea. This is really a good idea. I I saw a video this week of a, a dad who thought it was really a good idea uh, to take a dirt bike and uh, rev the engine of it so that the tire was spinning. Not so that it was on the ground, but so that it was sideways like this. And if you rev the engine like this, then the tire spins. And if you get that tire close enough to the merry-go-round, then uh, you can really make that merry-go-round spin. And so all four of those teenage boys in the video have their heads in the middle like this, and that merry-go-round starts going like this. Picks up speed, picks up speed, picks up speed, and they're all having lots of fun until one of them uh, lifts his head just a little bit. And you just see him hanging off of that merry-go-round. And I'm watching this going, why am I watching this? <laughs> and you see the dad pull the motorbike away and stick his foot there and the, it starts smoking because it's spinning like this and the kid's going like this and he starts sliding back and his knees are now hanging onto the bar and I'm just going, oh no, oh no. And then it slows down and it stops and everybody laughs and I went, oh, oh, oh. People should not share stuff like this on Facebook. It wasn't wise. They, they got lucky Somehow his knees hung on long enough that the merry-go-round stopped and he did not get ejected from the merry-go-round. Maybe he'll still have somewhat of a chiropractor bill um, or he'll, you know, wake up sore tomorrow. But we have these ideas with, oh, this is a really great idea. And it's just not a really great idea. And that's what's happening here. People are going, I have this really great idea. I will, I will honor something else. I will replace God with something else. This is the thing. This is the thing that I will honor. This is the thing that will make me happy. This is the thing that will fulfill me. This is the thing that will save me. All of these ways that they try to replace God and they, they substitute an idol for that. And it says, claiming to be wise, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And, and here's the thing, is that when we think of idolatry, 
we think, oh, we don't do that. We don't really have that in this culture. In other cultures, they have that. In this culture, we don't really have idolatry. We don't make idols here. We don't bow down and worship idols here. But the reality is that idols are just a representation of something. They're a representation of something that uh, we say, this is the thing that we are acknowledging and giving honor and thanks to. Right? And so, um, if you go back to biblical times, they would have idols set up that would be to the God of the harvest. Because they knew that if that, they did not have a harvest, they didn't eat for the next year. And so, this was the most important thing. And so, this, this image represented the harvest. And they thanked and honored and celebrated the harvest. Rather than the God who provided the harvest for them. And we do this kind of stuff all the time. We set up idols for ourselves all the time. All of these things that we think, this is, this is what everything is about. I'm just going to, to pour myself into this. And sometimes it's really good things. Sometimes it's family. We say, oh, this is my family, that's everything. As long as my family is okay. As long as my children succeed. As long as my marriage succeeds. That's, then everything's okay. Then I will, I will have made it. That's what we're going for. I took a counseling class in seminary, and um, the the professor was a had been a counselor for a long time, and he was just helping us uh, understand how to do some pastoral counseling. Right? I'm not a trained counselor. I I don't do that kind of thing, but just some general guidelines to to help people think through things. And so he's just talking and explaining. And he says, and so one of the things that people have trouble with is how their kids grow up. And what they do afterwards, they're very concerned, their identity is tied up in their kids. And so it's very important to them that their, their kids become successful and do well. And the, this one lady is nodding along in the class. And, um, and she goes, yeah, it is really important though. And he said, yeah, but I mean, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe they do something else and they fail. And she goes, oh no, they can't. He said, well, you don't want them to, but they could. No, she said, they cannot. They cannot fail. And he just stopped the whole class. I don't know if she recognized it, but I did. He just stopped the whole class and he stopped teaching and he just started counseling with this woman. Because her identity was completely wrapped up in her kids and the success of her kids. She had poured everything into them. And whether or not they succeeded meant the entire world to her. She idolized her children. And in her mind, it would be devastating if her children did not turn out well. It would completely devastate her. Because it was everything she had done. She had poured her life into those kids. Now, I'm not saying that as a parent, we shouldn't be disappointed if our children go astray as they get older. That's very disappointing. It's something that we struggle with. It's something that we pray about. It's something that we bring to God. 
It's something that we cry over, but it does not ruin us. It is not the end of who we are. Because the reality is, our children will never fulfill us. And if we think that they will, that's an idol. Our marriage, our spouse, will never fulfill us. If we put our expectations on our spouse that they must fulfill us, it will never happen. They cannot. They are not God. And we do this with lots and lots of things. We do it with family. We do it with our children. We do it with our spouses. We do it with nature. We go out in nature and we just are in awe of nature. And it's great because we know that God has created this so that we will be impressed with His handiwork, but sometimes we get confused and we just get impressed with the nature itself. As though somehow it sprang into being and just impressed us. Or that somehow we must be the caretakers of it And we are responsible for whether or not nature survives. Now, we should be good stewards of it. God has has created it and has put us in a place where we should be stewarding it well. But if we think that we can save nature, we have, um, in my estimation, made ourselves to be very arrogant. It's not our responsibility. We do the best we can, but it's God's. He created it. He sustains it. And we acknowledge it. We do it with food. Oh, we love food. We we want that really good food. We want food to be easy. We want it to be often. We want it to be wonderful. And so we dive into food. So sometimes we we want it to be just spectacular and, and we take pride in the fact that we don't just do the drive-through thing because we buy all fresh organic ingredients from local farmers that we prepare at home with steel knives and very good knife skills, by the way, prepared on a salt block because there's no better way. And then everything prepared and fresh and served hot because that's just who I am. And we idolize our food. We idolize our status and status symbols. We idolize our work. We idolize charity. We idolize social causes. We idolize entertainment and painkillers. In a variety of forms. Things that we say, this is going to save me. I have had such a hard day. I have had such a hard week, such a hard month, such a hard year, such a hard life, that this will give me some pleasure and happiness and freedom from the pain. Whether this is a movie, or an aspirin, or a glass of wine, or a joint or any number of other things. We say, that's it. And all of this time, all we have been doing is finding idols to replace God. 
and saying, this is it. This is it. In our wisdom, we have said, this is the thing that will satisfy me. This is the thing that will give me pleasure. This is the thing that will, that will be good for me. And it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 18. If this thing goes any slower, I'm going to switch to paper. First Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the, discerning, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demanded signs and Greeks seeked wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thinking that we are wise, we're foolish. Because in the wisdom of God, He didn't have us find Him through wisdom, but through His revelation and our acknowledging that He is God. Sometimes we read passages like, like this and we, we think, yes, that's right. You tell all those people that think they're so smart. And all we've really done is missed the whole point. Because we arrogantly start going, yeah, that's right, you think you're still smart, but wait till you're burning in hell. And then I'll show you how smart I am because I believe in Jesus. No. No boasting. No pride, no arrogance. It is not because we were better that God saved us. It's 
It's because He's gracious. It's because He loves us. It's because He gave us the ability to believe. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful nor noble. All of these things that we we still look at those things and go, man, power. If I was just powerful enough, I could fix some of these issues. If I was just powerful enough, I could just sign an executive order and I could solve some of this stuff. I have some ideas about some ways that we can fix some of the problems that we have going on here. And if I was powerful enough, I could fix those things. I could at least fix my own situation or my family's situation. If I had a little bit better status, then people would recognize who I am. They would acknowledge it. and Then I could be satisfied. And all this time, we're just swapping stuff. We're just trading. So that back in Romans, it says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's like saying, okay, you have a hundred dollar bill. How about if I trade you that hundred dollar bill for my photocopy of a nickel? We'll just swap. And, and most of us would look at that kind of a swap and go, that doesn't seem like a very good trade to me. Why would I give you $100 for a photocopy of a nickel? Well, it's a really good nickel. It's one of those buffalo head nickels. I, I photocopied both sides. So if you flip the paper over, you can see the heads, and if you flip it back this way, you can see the tails. Really great nickel. Probably worth, probably worth quite a bit, that nickel. $15, $20 maybe. Okay, so I'm going to exchange my $100 bill for a photocopy of a nickel that might be worth 15 Yeah, go for it. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God created the whole universe and everything in it, and their response is to exchange the glory of the immortal God, the eternal divine power. Rather than acknowledging that, giving Him glory and thanks, instead they went, you know, this looks pretty good. It's the image of something that God had created. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody make that trade? Why would anybody give me $100 for a piece of paper that had a nickel printed on it? Very little responsibility for that piece of paper. What if you lose it? No biggie. It was just a photocopy of a nickel. Who cares? What if you tear it or rip it? 
Well, if you throw it in the fire, no big deal. There's no pressure. What are you going to do with it? You know, how, you, how are you going to use it, invest it? It's a piece of paper with a nickel. I'm not going to do anything with it. There's, no, there's nothing that I owe that piece of paper. There's no obligation to it. There's nothing that I must do with that piece of paper. Now, $100, there's a little bit of responsibility with that. What if I lose it? I'd be pretty disappointed. It would seem pretty foolish to lose $100. What if I ripped it up? Well, that, that's not, you want to treat $100 a little bit more carefully than that. What are you going to do with it? Well, I could just, ooh, I'm going to have to think about that. I mean, we're, not, we're not talking about a nickel. Like you can't do very much with but $100. I could actually do something with $100. I could buy food with that. I could go to a really nice restaurant. I could invest it. I could buy some stocks. What am I going to do with $100? There's, there's some weight that comes with that. And when you exchange the glory of God for the image of something else, you don't owe that idol anything. If you exchange God for your family and you say, you know what, I'm going to put my, my emphasis here instead, then you don't have the weight of having to perform for God anymore. You just, you just transferred it over here. I can manage this. I can do this. Or at least, if I can't, I blame myself because I should have been able to. And if my idol really lets me down, I'll just exchange it for a different one that works better. That makes me feel better, makes me happier. So I'd exchange it. No big deal. But if I acknowledge that God is the only God, now I have to respond as though that's the case. It's not going to work to pretend that he's not. It's not going to work to say, yes, I know that there's a God. I'm just going to ignore him. Yes, I know that there's a God who created all things and I should thank him for that, but I'm just not going to. Yes, I I know that there's a God who doesn't like sin and whose wrath and judgment are coming out against sin, but I just will pretend that's not the case. No, if we acknowledge that God exists and He is there and He cares about sin, then we must respond accordingly. We must deal with our sin. We must give Him the glory and thanksgiving that is due to Him. Otherwise, it'd be foolishness. So why would somebody exchange these things? It's because when we exchange the glory of God for the image of other things, we suddenly put ourselves in in control. We put ourselves in power so that we no longer owe anything to God because we have control over this idol. But that's not wisdom. It's foolishness. What we want is God-centered thinking. We recognize that God is who He says that He is, that He has revealed Himself through creation and has continued to reveal Himself through His Word. And so we want to respond to Him as the center of the universe. 
Otherwise, we have this human-centric thinking that says, you know, it's really just the approval of others that's important. Whether or not they think I'm doing well, that's what's important. And I can even pick and choose who the others are. In human-centered thinking, we think that it is how we treat other people that is the most important thing, rather than the way that we treat God, which is the most important thing. And so we want to, to take it and, and say, no, okay, we, gotta, we have to end that kind of thinking and say that the way that we treat others is only important because of who God is. Because of how we respond to God, that's why it's important how we respond to others and how we treat others. Because of who God is, that's why our families are important. Because of who God is, that's why our work is important. Because of who God is, that's why our entertainment and the things that we do with our time are important. Because of who God is, that's why it's important how we handle and treat and take care of nature. It's because of who God is. So what do we do if we have exchanged this? In Psalm 106, verse 19, it says, uh, in uh, referring back to the Israelites as they came out of the land of Egypt, it says they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They had forgotten all of that. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. As we look at, at this psalm that, that it, uh, very clearly Paul is referencing in this passage in Romans, we see that his people had turned away from His glory. Very literally, uh, Moses was up on the mountain seeing the glory of God. Moses had said to God, show me your glory. Now he's up on the mountain and all they can see from down here is the earthquake and the smoke and the fire up there. And there's the glory of God up on that mountain with Moses up there. And they're down here in trembling. They don't even dare touch the mountain or go anywhere near it. And after Moses is up there for a little too long, they go, you know what, let's just make a calf. What, what are you thinking? And so Moses comes down the mountain and finds them worshiping this calf. That, this idol that the, the bull is supposed to show its strength and they're, oh yes, this is the God who led us out of Egypt. And Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets and goes, what? No! And he ground up that calf and put it into water. He ground it to dust. He put it into water and said, drink this. Because what you have done is disgusting. And God was so mad that he said, Moses, I'm going to destroy them. Even while I'm giving you the commandments, they are breaking them. And they are rejecting me. Even though I have just delivered them out of the slavery of Egypt, they are rejecting me. For a God that they have made with their own hands, I'm going to destroy them and start all over with you. And Moses said, whoa, 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 whoa. And he interceded on behalf of the people. 
And he said, God, for the sake of your glory, don't. For the sake of your name among the nations, don't destroy them. But show them compassion and mercy. That you may be their God and they may be your people. And as we find ourselves or those around us exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images of other things, we have to have somebody that's standing in the gap saying, whoa, 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 don't destroy them. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And Jesus stands in the gap and says, I will take the wrath that you might be saved and you might follow God. In John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking and He says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from, on, from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you already, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you had believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? We must come to Jesus. We must. It is the only way we can be saved from the idolatry of our hearts. So that when we see ourselves exchanging the glory of God for other things and saying, this is where my hope is, this is where my focus is, this is where my pressure is, we have to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you change it back so that my desire is for my God and not for these other things? Would you save me from my sin? Next week, as we go further into Romans chapter 1, we're going to see the results of some of those sins and how we have to deal with them and identify them so that we can repent. But for this week, let's not be arrogant, but just believe in God, giving Him the thanks and the glory that is due Him, and willing to share with others the hope that we have because of who He is. Let's pray.